This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. you found the best podcast in the universe. It's Tuesday, August the 8th, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome to The Secrets. This podcast is all about writing and how to get the success you want. This particular podcast is the fourth in a series I'm calling 21 Days to a Novel. It began in an impromptu manner in episode 17 and looks like it will continue through episode 23 or maybe even episode 24. I'm Michael A. Stackpole, a novelist, short story writer, screenwriter, game designer, and computer game designer with 38 published books to my credit. This does not help me doing any salsa dancing, but I'm enjoying taking those classes, so I just thought I'd mention it here. Next week, or actually later this week, I'll be at Gen Con in Indianapolis, and I'll be teaching five writing workshops. So if you're listening to this on your way to Gen Con or you get it while you're there, Look for uh, workshops numbers 172 through 176. That we just like this podcast, only it's me in concert, live, taking questions, all that sort of nonsense. It'll be an absolute blast. I've done these before, and they work out really, really well. I'll also be doing a book signing on Saturday down in Author Alley, so please stop by. The Secrets Podcast is an audio companion to my writing newsletter, which is also called The Secrets. You can learn more about the newsletter on my homepage at www.stormwolf.com. Download the sample issues and decide if it's worth a dollar an issue to focus your writing on success. Issue 57 just came out with the first in a series of essays about creating villains. In the last podcast, we covered days 9 and 10 in our 21 days to a novel. If you've done the exercises, you've now got three characters who are all involved in the same story and setting. You've got a letter one sent to another of them, and then the dialogue between the sender and the recipient. To recap, for the purposes of these podcasts, my characters are Harry, a mid-40s drunk who's trying to dry out, is playing guitar as a hobby, and who's in love with Nicole. Nicole is a hot 23-year-old singer who used to be from a well-to-do family, but after her father was caught up in a bank swindle, went to prison and died, she's fallen on hard times. Still, she dreams of making it big in the world of entertainment and sings with Harry accompanying her. Lastly, we have Pete, a somewhat mysterious figure who hangs out to help Nicole. There are rumors he's been in jail, but nobody knows anything solid. On day 11, we're going to cover physical description. It might seem like a rather large subject to be restricted to a single podcast, but that would be making more out of it than it really is. More importantly, this is one subject where you're going to have to find a level that makes you comfortable and an area in which your powers grow as you practice. The purpose of physical description is simple. You want to accurately describe what you see happening in the story. You want to describe it in sufficient detail that the reader can get the correct mental image. His vision will approach yours and the vision he gets will contain all the clues he needs to make sense of the story. For example, you might write the sentence, Along the dusty road came an overloaded cart drawn by a tired horse. That certainly gives us a picture that works. Of course, we don't know what the cart is overloaded with, so we'll have to explain that, if it is significant. For example, if it's a farmer's cart heading for market, or bringing sheaves of wheat into the threshing shed, you'll want to put that in. Or if it's a tin tinker's cart, you'll want to mention that. Sometimes all that's required is an adjective like farmers, or tinkers, or refugees, 
applied right before cart. That simple word addition will radically alter the perception of that cart and quite likely the horse and any of people associated with it. One big clue here is something that was mentioned in episode 8 of the first series of the Secrets podcast. You have to use all of your senses. What sounds do we hear? The clanging of pots and pans, the creak of the wheels, uh, clop-clop of the horse's hooves. And if that clopping is slow, do we get one idea versus if it's a fast or crisp or even tidy? What do we smell? The dust? The scent of unwashed bodies? Though it's not a sense per se, don't forget to use color here either. Colors will make serious impressions on the visual images. What about the sense of touch? Can the observer feel the horse's hoofbeats through the ground? Does it seem to him that the wagon will tip over as it sways unsteadily? All of these elements can create an unforgettable image, which is precisely what you want to do. As noted above, you want to include details that are vital and exclude those that are just going to clutter things up. In a story, if that wagon was important because it contains refugees or reinforcements or the weekly food rations, then you'd lavish some time on it. If, on the other hand, the character is just waiting for it to pass so he can cross the street, we really don't need much more of a sentence than I've already offered. That being said, including a splash of color, sound, or maybe an adjective or two would make the wagon in the world more real. I'm often asked how much description is too much. I have a simple rule of thumb for me. Two paragraphs of description, then we do something interesting. That something could be a line of dialogue, a fight, or even just having a character reflect on the description. You describe some mountain vista for two paragraphs, then you have your main character think about how long it's been since he's seen the mountains. He reflects for a paragraph, then you offer some more description. Then he takes a paragraph to move to a new vantage point, which gives you ample reason to describe something he's not seen yet. He reflects on it for a graph, and you do two more paragraphs of description, and then move the story right along. Physical description can also set moods, and that's good. There are plenty of authors who can wax eloquent about the jungle at night, making it sound beautiful or deadly or both. Remember that suspense gets built up when you slow the pace of the tale, start overloading the reader on exacting details, and allow the point of view character to reflect on how he's getting anxious, doesn't know where the next attack will come from, and even starts to question his own perceptions. Yes, I know I just tossed a lot of stuff off, off rather casually there. It's something you want to think about and play with, uh, think about our card above. How could you make it sinister? Eh, maybe you'd do something like this. Along the dusty road came an overloaded cart drawn by a tired horse. It creaked slowly through the cold night. The driver appeared as nothing more than a blanket-swathed lump on the seat, unmoving. He could have been dead, with his throat slit, the blood long since soaked up by the same scarf that muffled his last scream. His horse, oblivious, trot on dutifully waiting for the dead hands to twitch cracked leather reins and put an end to its labors. As the paragraph goes, it's not brilliant, but most folks will be fairly sure the driver is dead, and they get a little creepy feeling over the idea of the horse plodding along until it's stopped, and maybe even wonder how far they're going to go, how far they've come, what they're carrying, why the guy was killed. This is, uh, and then of course they are going to have to wonder who killed him and who slit his throat. And they'll wonder who's going to stop the wagon and why, and they'll wonder if the murder's ever going to be solved. 
Another graph of that, focusing in on the driver, his head lolling, the dark wet scarf slipping a touch, and the creaking of the cart sounding like the last wheezed breath escaping his lungs, and readers would definitely be creeped out. But then we'd have to do something interesting before we went back to description. So, color, sound, smell, touch, taste, all of these things are things you want to use. How technically you get really depends upon the demands of the story you're writing. If someone knows guns, sees one drawn and being used, then describing what the gun is would be a good thing. By the same token, you don't have to describe the make and model of a taxi. Folks will fill in those details for themselves. The fastest way for you to learn how much description feels right for you and to learn how to evoke sensations is to study the work of authors who do that very well. I think Stephen King is at the top of the game for this sort of thing. He's also the ace at characterization as well. So these are things that you're going to want to study him for. Fact is that any author will teach you something about description, even if it's how not to do something. Study other writers, analyze what they do, then work at it yourself. Set yourself little goals of, say, describing a restaurant in four sentences, that kind of thing. Focus on the most important detail, lock it in, and then move out from there. Think of defining features of a person, a place, a thing, and tailor the description around it, and you'll be on the right path. Now we need to shift a bit and build upon the exercise from day 10. If you'll recall, that's the dialogue between two of your characters. You've got the dialogue, and there's no attribute tags. So there are no he says, no she gasps, nothing like that. You have no way to identify who's saying the words except for the words themselves. And what I want you to do is write up that dialogue, but you're going to write it up from the point of view of your third character. In my case, this will be Pete. The trick here is that Pete can't actually hear what Harry and Nicole are saying to each other. So he's going to have to read the conversation from body language. So what you're going to do is you'll go through your dialogue. You'll have that on one side. You'll look through that dialogue, and then you'll imagine what each of these characters is doing as they deliver their lines and how they react when they hear the other people's lines. And that's what you're going to be writing down today. All right. Why am I asking you to do this? Because this is a solution to two huge problems that writers get into. The first is using dialogue tags. They're useless. They tell how a line of dialogue was delivered. They don't show how it was delivered. Through using character description, we can show how it was delivered. And this is important. Remember, show, don't tell. Second, it avoids the really annoying self-descriptive passage. It happens a lot in stories by beginning authors. The character in question pauses before a mirror, checks himself out, and catalogs his features. Sort of like this. Paul glanced at his reflection and smiled that handsome boyish grin he had. His red hair had gotten a bit long, but it gave him a rakish look. His green eyes flashed fire, and the hint of a goatee he wore distracted from the double chin he was working on. The emerald earring he wore in his right ear glinted and was worth every bit of the $2,000 he'd pay for it. Okay, we do learn a lot about Paul there, right? Sure, red hair, green eyes, has money, is handsome and prosperous, but he's letting himself get chubby and hasn't had a haircut in too long. But does the paragraph do anything for the story? Maybe it suggests he's a little full of himself, but that can be done far better elsewhere. More importantly, the old mirror gambit is tired. So is the staring at your reflection in a pool of water. I mean, that was overdone by the time the story of the ugly duckling started circulating. 
So you, being better than average writers, aren't going to use that ploy. Just forget it. What you're going to do is to use description in your dialogue and describe who is speaking and what they're doing. Like this. Harry nodded quickly and a wisp of his thinning hair slipped down over his forehead. Or Nicole's brown eyes tightened. Or Harry's jowls quivered as Nicole's words sank in. Or Harry toyed with the whiskey glass, turning it slowly, staring at it, never lifting his eyes to meet Nicole's angry gaze. Two things are vitally important here. First, they are all external reads of the situation. In that last one, where Harry is toying with the whiskey glass, it's pretty obvious he's afraid to meet Nicole's gaze. But Pete can't make that particular judgment. The reader will, however. And if you want to make it more obvious, you talk about Harry's hands trembling and other signs of nervousness and fear. Second, sprinkled throughout a dialogue, they allow someone to build up an image slowly of the speaker, and they incorporate meaning in the words, too. This creates a stronger, more complete image of the character than a simple, single-paragraph info dump. In combination with dialogue, it makes an unforgettable impression. Obviously, you can expand things. Harry could take a jacket off. He could roll his sleeves up. He could loosen his tie. This lets you know how he dresses. Nicole, on the other hand, could reach out and straighten his tie, not only telling us how Harry dresses, but showing us that she cares for him and how he looks. You can also bring these things back to Pete. You could use the line like, watching Harry squirm, Pete resolved he never wanted to get on the sharp side of Nicole's tongue. It reflects on Harry, Nicole, and Pete. A triple play, and that's actually pretty good. The really easy and practical way to help with this exercise is to head out to a coffee shop or other public place and read body language of folks in conversations. You can learn tons of stuff just watching them. It's amazing. That'll give you a window on how to get this exercise done. And if you're like me and traveling to Gen Con, which I will be doing on Wednesday, I'll have an airport full of people to watch, and that is just so much fun. Okay, the Day 11 exercise is a big one. From your third character's point of view, you're going to describe his coming into a position to view the conversation, so Pete's going to come into a bar or wherever they're talking. There's going to be a couple of paragraphs there to get that description, and then we get the conversation. You don't have to use descriptors to introduce every single bit of dialogue. And you want to alternate between long and short ones. But by the end of things, we should know what the other two characters look like and have a stunning impression about this conversation. You'll definitely have a scene and might even have a chapter out of that whole thing. And if you want extra credit, add this line of dialogue from your third character. After he walks over, he just says, I couldn't help but overhearing. I think there's a solution you're overlooking, and I'd be more than willing to help you get it done. Just see where that leads. Let that spur more of that conversation. Let it carry on and just see where your characters go and what's going on. Okay, that's day 11. You're over halfway there. And when you get comfortable with the stuff you've already learned through these exercises, you're going to be better than halfway to the, well, <laughs> you're going to be better than halfway to a novel. You're also going to be better than half the published writers out there. Quite frankly, if you actually work at these exercises and apply what you hear in these podcasts, you'll end up in about the 75th percentile. There are a lot of writers who never make it that far. Keep practicing, and you can actually have a career as a writer. In our next podcast, we're going to do some fast and dirty world development. Until then, work on day 11, and if you get bored, go back and work up some other characters, you know, the little spot characters, the, the bartender, the doorman, the bouncer, um, all sorts of different people that will just kind of populate your world. 
Think about how much information you could impart about it, say a gas station attendant or a store clerk in a simple dialogue. Or alternately, glance quickly at pictures in a magazine or at folks on the street and write down three sentences about them, both physical descriptions and what impressions you draw from that. In doing this, you can learn to characterize somebody in a short paragraph. I know that's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun work, and that's the key. Writing may be hard, but it is also fun. Play with it. Play with words, and you'll have a ball. This is Michael A. Stackpole for The Secrets. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit www.stormwolf.com to get your sample issues of The Secrets. Remember, my latest book, Cardomancy, came out in February, and it's a sequel to A Secret Atlas, and so I hope you're reading those, enjoying them. There is still summer left. You can do a lot of reading. This podcast has a discussion forum at www.tsfpn.com. Please feel free to come over there, ask questions, and participate in the discussions about writing and share your work on the exercises with other writers. The next podcast will be the fifth in this series and will take us, I think, through days 12 and 13. We're going to be doing a lot of world building, as I mentioned before. Also, want to say over at uh, Podcast Pen or TSFPN.com, there's another writing uh, podcast. It's by author Holly Lyle. And so you should come over and check that out. Also, if you look at our Friends of the Network page, Bruce Bethke has his writing blog listed there. And Bruce is a brilliant writer, and you should all take a look at what he has to say. This podcast is copyright 2006 by Michael A. Stackpole. I'll be back in a fortnight or so after I recover from the convention with more about working with words. Until then, work hard on the exercises, and good luck with your writing. (laughs) 